Hey folks, Preet here. We continue to follow the latest news in the aftermath of the historic indictment of former President Trump in Manhattan. Despite the unsealing of the charges, many questions remain, including under what legal theory Trump might try to get the charges dismissed and what Trump's defenses might be at trial. In other news, access to an abortion drug is in limbo after federal judges in Texas and Washington state issued conflicting orders. And Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is facing allegations of ethics violations after a ProPublica report revealed that he had failed to disclose luxury trips that were funded by a billionaire GOP donor. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with the listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So the other huge legal news that's disconcerting to many people who care about reproductive rights and care about not having judicial overreach, it's my point of view, is this decision in Texas by a sole judge, district court judge, basically effectively causing a nationwide ban injunction against the FDA with respect to an abortion pill, formerly known as RU486. The complicated thing that you, Joyce, will unpack for us is that hours <laughs> later, and it's not completely coincidental, hours later, a, another sole federal district court judge in the state of Washington came to the opposite conclusion. The Texas judge's ruling, he himself stayed for seven days. The Department of Justice has sought immediate relief from the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals that has Texas within its jurisdiction is the Fifth Circuit. Court of Appeals, I should point out, for the sake of full disclosure, that my law firm today, Tuesday, has filed an amicus brief on the side of people who think that the Texas ruling is not correct and not meritorious and should not stand up. And I'm proud of them for doing so. What the hell is going on, Joyce? You start with an important point, right? We have an opinion that's issued by a district judge in Amarillo, Texas, that says mifepristone, this one of the two pills used for medication abortion, was wrongfully approved by the FDA, has to be pulled off the market. And then 20 minutes later, a judge, again, another federal district court judge, Thomas Rice in Washington state, says, you know, not so fast. I've got 17 states' attorneys general in front of me, the District of Columbia, and they're saying that they want mifepristone to remain on the market in their states. And so Judge Rice enters a much more limited order. In Amarillo, Texas, we have a nationwide injunction against the marketing of mifepristone. In Washington, we have a carve-out for 17 states and the District of Columbia where mifepristone remains available not a nationwide injunction. And so the starting point is to say that this is not a final disposition of this lawsuit on the merits. This is early skirmishes. It's an effort to get an injunction. And you know, injunctions, Preet, and, and you know this, I think, as well as anybody, right? They are typically used to keep the status quo in place while litigation is ongoing. Is that what happened here in Texas? No, that's not what happened here. The status quo and by the way, it's been a long-term status quo. 20 years. The FDA's first approval was 20, 23 years ago in 2000. The FDA again and again has approved this drug. That has been so under multiple 
administrations, I think five presidents of both parties. And what this judge seeks to do in the context of, a, of an injunction, as you point out, is not to maintain the status quo, which is to allow millions of women access to this drug, but to turn that on its head and reverse it and create a completely new status quo. So one of the arguments, obviously, that the government and others are making is the harm that will be done by the issuance of this injunction. And so here's where we are. The Justice Department, you know, Judge Kaczmarek gave them seven days to file a notice of appeal. He entered a stay for seven days to allow things to go into uh, the appellate situation. DOJ immediately turns around and files a notice of appeal Friday night. They follow up yesterday and we begin to see some of the appellate pleadings. At the same time, we've got this case in Washington and DOJ does something that I haven't, I don't think I've seen them do this in a lot of litigation, but they essentially go back to the judge and they sort of say, what, what do you want us to do here? You've entered a contradictory order and you haven't told us how your order impacts the Texas litigation. What are we supposed to do? And the amusing detail that we get in that pleading is, is they say, it's understandable that you didn't talk with us about the Texas litigation because your order was filed 20 minutes after the Texas order. But in reality, we know that the judge in Texas had waited for almost a month after the case was was right before he rendered his opinion. One suspects that Judge Rice may have been holding his opinion to drop it right after Kaczmarek. Well, we should point out, I believe it's true, that the action was brought in Washington in response to the action brought in Texas. Right. Right. So it's not like they were, as sometimes happens and happened once in an insider trading case of some repute that I was overseeing when I was U.S. attorney. It's not happenstance. People were engaging in litigation strategy, uh, whether that's good or bad, to make sure that there would be ultimately a contrary decision. Can we clarify one thing, Joyce, which may be confusing to people who are not following this closely? Sure. So the Dobbs decision, which overturned the constitutional right to abortion, overruled Roe v. Wade last year. Some people might think, well, this is a natural outgrowth of that and legally inferable by this judge from the Dobbs decision because it's another you know, fairly radical, unprecedented decision relating to reproductive rights. But this Texas judge, his opinion has nothing to do with Dobbs, correct? That's right. And in some ways, it's contrary to Dobbs because remember what happens in Dobbs is the court says abortion is now a matter for each state to consider. States can do whatever they want, right? Or one judge. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, enter Judge Kaczmarek who says, I and I alone can decide um, whether medicated abortion will be available nationwide. And that's an important part of what goes on here is that he enters a nationwide injunction. It's not just an injunction that impacts the parties in the lawsuit in front of him or, or even just, you know, Texas where he is a judge. It impacts everybody. And that sort of leads directly, I think, into one of the most intriguing parts of this case. It was an issue in front of Judge Kaczmarek, and he had no trouble dispensing with it. It will be an issue on appeal, and it's the issue of standing, because the Texas lawsuit is brought by some doctors who don't prescribe mifepristone. They don't treat patients using it. Instead, their argument for standing is, well, you know, we're doctors, and patients might show up one day who would have used mifepristone and had side effects, 
narrator voice here says that mifepristone is safer than Tylenol, safer than Viagra, very low number of side effects. But the plaintiff said, well, this could swamp our practices. And so they argue that they have standing, which requires a, a direct impact on the people that are bringing the lawsuit. And it's a, it's a weak argument. I think that there's a good position that this case should have been immediately dismissed and probably would have been by most other judges just on the basis of standing. It wouldn't be Cafe Insider unless periodically we had a discussion about standing. You can apply for CLE credit uh, right, <laughs> right to Joyce Vance's email address. I want to make another point that's related to this and explain why it is that it's this particular Texas judge who has this case. And this is a little bit in the weeds inside baseball. But generally speaking, for example, my experience in the Southern District of New York, you file a case, whether it's a criminal case or a civil case. And there are, I don't know what the current number is, but you know, 40 some odd judges sitting in Manhattan in the Southern District of New York. And there's a few judges sitting in White Plains and it's a separate wheel. And they have a separate process for assigning judges to cases or cases to judges. And there are some districts, divisions, right, in sprawling districts where there's a lot of geography to cover, where in New York we have, you know, 40 downtown in Manhattan, we have maybe five or six. In White Plains, in Amarillo, Texas, there's just this one judge, the judge that you mentioned. And if you know that you're definitely getting a particular judge because it's the only judge available in a division within a district, and if you know as you know with this judge, that he is very, very sympathetic to anti-abortion arguments, well-known about him, well-known about his jurisprudence, then you file there, and it's not a random assignment because there's only one choice, the game is rigged, and you get your injunction. Should we not have single-judge divisions within districts in the country? You know, this is something that that happens because Congress sets up this system where you've got just a single judge in certain divisions, and it's something I think that's long overdue to be addressed. The reason is this. People have to have confidence in the courts to have confidence in their decisions. There are a lot of problems. We'll get to maybe some more of them later in the show. But the reality here is that you've got a judge that people are going to with some frequency for decisions that they believe that they can predict from him. And he has affirmed the belief that he's quite predictable. You know, this opinion, it's its not just a decision on the issues in front of him. He goes above and beyond to express his political beliefs. There's a footnote where he rejects the use of the term fetus and, and sort of pontificates about why he's going to refer to unborn babies or, or unborn children. The entire opinion is really just replete with his effort to make his personal views the law of the land. And in that situation, when you've got this kind of judge shopping, Congress really does need to address it. And the other issue that I think is strong on the part of the opponents to the injunction, the, go the government side, is the statute of limitations. Yeah. This is a thing that has been approved starting 23 years ago. And I think other judges also would have at first blush said, well, that's your biggest problem, that the statute of limitations may not have run on the most recent liberalizing of the policy of prescribing these drugs. And there have been some changes, which is one of the things that has, I think, caught the ire, caused the ire of some anti-abortion people. But that's the only thing that can be litigated. The basic approval of this drug back in 2000 
has long since been decided again and again. How are they getting outside of the statute of limitations argument? Reference the earlier conversation about judge shopping, right? I think, again, you've got an argument that's very weak for the plaintiffs. Mifepristone gets approved in 2000. They file an objection, these same plaintiffs, in 2002. And in 2016, the FDA says, no dice, we're, we're rejecting this. And so more than six years pass before they file this lawsuit. And Judge Kaczmarek's way around that is he actually starts his opinion very early on talking about a dysfunctional FDA process. Well, you know, that's all well and good. I mean, he may even be right about parts of it. But the reality is the statute of limitations doesn't say you get more time if you dislike the process. It says you get six years from <laughs> It doesn't the, say that? No, it really doesn't. I mean, imagine that. An administrative denial, you've got six years from the date to file. And so like, like you say, there's this more recent action under the REMS, the risk management plan for mifepristone. And there was back and forth about whether it had to be administered in person by a doctor during COVID that gets revoked. And so perhaps they could argue that there's still some live issue there, but not on the issue of mifepristone's approval. How does the judge, if at all, handle the issue of harm, right? There are many, many safe drugs ibuprofen and others that are taken a million times a year by millions and millions of Americans. No drug is 100% safe. And even in those instances, by the way, pregnancy is not safe. Pregnancy is one of the most dangerous conditions for a person. That's such a good point. Can we just underline that? Pregnancy is less safe than medicated abortion. Yeah, by a lot. By a whole lot. And for women who are having challenges with a pregnancy or women who have a, a an incomplete spontaneous abortion or spontaneous miscarriage, mifepristone is a life-saving drug. And so this whole argument about it being unsafe, I think, is positioned wrong. And we should be talking about women's health and the health of pregnant people and that's really something that's completely lost. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox and you can go back to the point you were going to no, make. You, you have answered the question before I finished asking it, which is good. There is this recitation of harm and you know numbers of deaths of, of at least eight women, nine life-threatening incidents, 232 hospitalizations. That, that's, you know, nobody wants any of that. But it's minuscule compared to the number of people who use it. Well, by the way, the other statistic that people should be aware of Half of all abortions in the country, half of all abortions in the United States of America are done through this pill or this two-pill regimen, not the traditional way that people think of abortion as a procedure in a hospital. So we're talking about millions and millions of people, and these adverse effects are a minuscule number as compared to, as you said, pregnancy, and even common everyday over-the-counter drugs as well. And that's not addressed. One other data point is that there are now large parts of the country where birth and and prenatal services are no longer available. Idaho is now a birth desert. There are parts of rural Alabama where there's no one there. Mifepristone in, in those situations and having it available for women to use at home is life-saving. It really changes things. It's part of a two-drug regimen. And so you actually can do a medicated abortion with only the, the other drug, but it is 
more dangerous, not significantly more dangerous, but it is more dangerous. It is, some doctors will tell you, more painful. And there is also a much greater chance of an incomplete abortion, which requires additional medical treatment. And that's a real problem in parts of the country, largely rural, where there are poor women who can't afford to travel for care, who, who are left with no options by Judge Kasmerich's entry of an injunction in Amarillo, Texas. Joyce, I'm going to call upon you again to educate me and our viewers, uh, me and our listeners. <laughs> They're not viewers. <laughs> what is the Comstock Act and what does that have to do with this? The Comstock Act is, is really interesting. This is an old law that was put on the books because there was a gentleman, last name Comstock, who... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.